I think that you just have to be open to learn and you can just stay in your position of, oh, I'm a UX writer. I only write. That's not the way to go. And if I could give anyone a recommendation, that would be just get involved, get involved with the product, with the business rules, with the technical aspect as well, because you have to be like a sponge. You have to absorb everything. This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Did you ever imagine how does it feel to be a writer in a product team of an airline company or a traveling agency? Well, today is your lucky day because today I'm going to speak with my friend from Latam Airlines and her name is... Carolina Rayo, and she's a senior UX writer for the largest airlines in South America. Big respect. I had a lot of fun speaking with her about her process and about how she is testing copy and collaborating with designers. And we talk also a lot about storytelling. So uh, join me to this episode today. Don't forget to share this podcast with the world. And if you know Elon Musk by any chance, so uh, speak with him and tell, the, tell him that I want to interview him uh, for uh, the 100th episode of Writers in Tech. Till then, have fun. First of all, Carolina, tell us about yourself, what do you like to do, about your hobbies, and uh, yes. Well, my name is Carolina Rayo. I'm a Chilean journalist. I studied journalism. I've been working as a senior UX writer for Latam Airlines for the past four, four and a half years. And what do I like to do? Well, I like words. I like writing. I like reading. I, I like learning languages. So I think... That part of my brain is well-developed. I'm really bad at math and numbers and all that, but the other part, the part that has to do with languages and words, I really like a lot. I love my hobbies. Are, I like music. I'm crazy about music. I love going to live shows and see bands. And since I'm really lucky and I work for an airline, I get to travel a lot. Uh, so I usually <laughs> uh, plan trips and go to see bands that I like. and travel a lot. I love traveling the world. So you work in the right place. Yes, definitely. Who is your favorite artist at the moment? I don't know. I have I love so many bands that I couldn't just pick one. But I think I'm more of a like a rock kind of rock. Yeah, rock kind of girl. Which so, doesn't always make sense to people who see me like like do you like that kind of music? But yeah, I like rock and heavy music. So which rock artist do you think have the best uh, text, like the best writer? Oh, the best writer. Oh, that's a good question. The best lyrics. I don't know. I've been listening to a band called Daughters. Uh, I'm listening to them a lot lately. And their singer, sorry, Alexis has really good lyrics. Like you can tell by the lyrics that he's very into poetry and it's kind of dark, but, but classy lyrics. So I like him a lot. Cool. So you started telling me that you are good with words, you're good with languages, but uh, you don't see yourself as an uh, analytical person. You don't like to work with numbers. And uh, it's, it's, it was super interesting because uh, sometimes uh, we might think, I'm a product designer, by the way. I haven't introduced myself even, but I'm <laughs> Val, I'm a product designer. 
I have, uh, I'm working right now on the UX Writing Hub, uh, a place for uh, many UX writers. We have a newsletter, a blog. Now we're going to have a podcast. But originally I was a product designer, a UX designer, you could say. And uh, I started as a graphic designer. And then I moved to UX design. And during that transition, I had to become a little bit more analytical, test, do some A-B testing to my designs, and uh, you know, look at data and optimize the, the design through the data. And today, I think, I feel like in the future, we're going to see more of it, but uh, we, we're going to be a little bit more analytical creatures. What do you think? I totally agree with that. And I think that one has to be able to ask for help and learn from the people that surround you and the different roles that surround you. And for many UXers uh, who work in digital companies, you're always surrounded with people who are, you know, more in charge of the business part or, or the developers and they have a more of a logical train of thought. So I think it's very important to ask for their help. If you don't understand something, ask someone to explain it to you, like, I usually tell them when I have, I don't know, if, I, if there's something I don't understand, like I go to a, a product owner or someone I tell, I don't understand this. Like, please, <laughs> <laughs> please explain this to me as if I was five, because I really need to understand it. And then when they uh, explain something to me, if that's not clear enough for me, I don't have a problem in being totally honest. It's like, can you repeat that last part? I didn't get it. What you said is very important. You have to be more analytical, but in order, in order to do that, you need to understand what you're talking about. So I think it's very important, important for us UXers to reach out to the right people and ask for help and learn more and be open to understand things that are not necessarily from your area of expertise. That was a really good point because, uh, yeah, you know, we need to be in our work humble we need to put our ego aside. We need to just be curious about it and, and just ask questions because we're not going to understand everything all the time. What you said is very important, like ego. That's that's a big topic, I think, in, in, in the UX world. In corporations, right? Yeah, and when you work with different roles, you'll see your ego break in a second. Like you will enter a meeting when you think you know everything and you know you don't know anything actually. <laughs> and that's when your ego crumbles immediately and it, it'll force you to ask questions and be humble and ask for help. Right. And I also love the fact that you said, explain to me like I was five years old because I heard a sentence that sometimes we need to write like we're writing towards a five years old. So I would love to ask you a little bit about your position in Latam Airlines as a senior UX writer. Sure. Well, Latam Airlines is an airline with a big presence in South and Latin America. Within the digital team of Latam Airlines is the UX team. In the UX team, uh, we have UX designers and UX writers. We work together, UXers and designers, the whole time. And we work in products. So uh, just to give you a little bit of context, when in the time you do anything digital for us, that's a product. For example, you purchase a ticket. The purchase process is a product. And when you check in online, check-in is a product. And for each product, there's a team of people working on that product. We work using the agile methodology approach. Which methodology? 
agile. So we work Scrum or Kanban, depending on the product. So you have a group of developers, a Scrum master, a product owner, a UX designer, and a UX writer. So they are a team and that team works for a specific product. In my case, I'm working in the booking process, which is the core product of the company. So that's really cool. And I'm also working with another product, which is the, uh, the map search tool. So where you find your destinations for your next trip, next trip. And I'm also a mentor for other writers within my team. What a UX writer does on a daily basis is that we have the ownership for the content strategy, information architecture, content hierarchy, and storytelling of that product. Of course, the writing of the final copy, and you're also responsible for the translations for that product because we work in six different languages. We work with the translations vendor, but uh, we have the ownership of anything that's written within your digital product. Mm-hmm. So you outsource the localization? Yeah, we do. Uh, we usually write in Spanish and then we send everything to our vendor. We get the translations back and we are also responsible to check it, to double check if anything sounds like not right or they're not using the right words. So we have talks with them as well so they know what the tone and voice and guidelines of our communications are. So I would say that the vendors, they're definitely not UX people, they're translators. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we keep communicating with them constantly. So let them know what is the tone of what we want to communicate and we give them context. Okay, this list of words that we send in you for translations, this goes in a product that explains users how to book their next flight or whatever. We just give them context. So because we don't they know that we have style guide and a communications guide, so they know it, that we're in permanent contact with them. Nice. Uh, so your process sounds rock solid. <laughs> Many companies today try to figure out exactly how to work and, you know, the fact that you're working with squads, different products or different parts of the website, this is very common and great way to create digital experiences today. I know that Spotify, Airbnb, Lemonade, all of those are companies that works in this uh, format, so um, that's great. Uh, I wanted to ask, first of all, a little bit about uh, UX research. So do you have in your team a, a research team as well that you work with, or do you have a UX research process of your own, um, like benchmark or competitor analysis, something that you can search and then implement in your own? Uh, work? We do have uh, a UX research team within the UX team. We call it the UX lab and mm-hmm. a few people in that team. They, they help us on the, or, and they guide us on which instruments are the best to redo our research in a specific context. Because sometimes, sometimes UXers don't know all the tools that are available to do research and we just do the same thing all over again. But it depends on the context and the product and uh, and the stage of the project as well. So are you in a discovery process or are you iterating something that's already been done? So they help us guide and they guide us and we decide when are we going to do. And most of the times 
we also participate actively participate in the execution of the research. Let's say we're okay. We're going to do exp- uh, exploratory interviews at the airport, and so we decide with them what what the content of the interview should be, like more or less. But we, the UX duo of each product, we write the questions and then we go to the airport and execute the the interviews. That's cool. Do you look also on other flight websites, like other airlines, uh, in order to see how they tackle different uh, issues and problems that you try to tackle? Yes, of course. We're constantly visiting other airline websites and travel apps. We're, we're, constantly, we're constantly seeing what the industry is doing how they're giving a solution to different issues that we're working on as well. And, and I think that's very important, like benchmarking, because one thing is to see where the industry goes, where are the tendencies, but uh, I think it's more important, or you have to do both, you, but you also have to listen to the users. So, because the, the industry, you can see, I don't know, eight out of 10 airlines doing a certain thing, but, that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that's right or that's the way to go. Because Most of the airlines have uh, dark design patterns, as I said. Yeah, yeah, because you can see that some airlines are doing things, but you don't know why. Because one thing I know for sure is that airlines and the industry is super complex and there are always technical limitations. So I don't know if that airline chose to do uh, something because they have to because there's no other way or because it's the best thing for their users. So I think it, you have to do both. Uh, so you do benchmarking, but at the same time, you always have to talk to your users to see what their expectations are and their needs and their problems. And so you can give them a better solution. So do you speak with your users? Yeah, we do constantly. And what's the process of uh, reaching your users and talking with them, except for the what you told me before about uh, the interviews in the airport? Yeah, b- because, well, it depends. It depends what we're doing at the time. Um, so we can do interviews or we can send them um, a survey or we guerrilla test our solutions the whole time. So we say, okay, let's go in this direction. We should test it. Okay. Uh, we take the elevator and we ask people on the street, like smokers are great. Uh, they <laughs> always have five minutes to talk to you. So we usually tell them, you know, we're testing this. Would you give us five minutes just to do something on your, on our, we give them the phone and we test it. If it works, if people are understanding, just that gives us uh, like va- uh, very valuable inside if you're going in the right direction or not. And then you have the more formal uh, instruments, like you do a lab test with people or, you know, Mm -hmm. like structure interviews or whatever other instrument can be. What I like about the talking with smokers is that, or talking with the people on the street is this, that's the most uh, affordable method. Yeah, Bring yeah. People to your lab cost a lot of money. Sending tests to usertesting.com or to user Zoom cost a lot of money. And uh, doing interviews also cost a lot of money if you're a big brand. It only takes like 10 minutes or sometimes when it's winter and it's cold, it's a little bit more difficult. But if you can get 
six users to just to see what you're doing and you can you can gather important information. And do you do it like with an envision prototype or or developed prototype or even another tool? What kind of a tool do you use to present those prototypes that you're testing your users? We usually go with envision, but we have mm-hmm. tested in paper. You know, we have done from mm-hmm. paper testing to testing things in like just images. Like it depends, whatever's easier for us. We don't want to complicate anything. And if we want like quick responses and we just take the elevator and do <laughs> the, the test as fast as we can. We, all, we always do a small like brief. What do we want to test and why? And then we uh, do like a, like a spreadsheet with the, with the main findings with the results, but nothing that takes too much time to document because I think that makes the process slower. So how do you document it? Are you like two people, one is doing the test and the other one is documenting or you take a video of it? Oh, no, we don't usually take videos because that can be a little bit invasive for the, for the audience. For people, at least here, like people get scared like, why are you recording? So we take notes on a piece of paper. User one said this, did it, recognize it. No, didn't see it, <laughs> didn't use it. Yeah, since it's like probably just six or eight users, it's pretty easy. So, and I love it when user, like when we do guerrilla tests and everything is wrong <laughs> and you find out that it was a horrible solution or I love it when everything is okay. It's super clear that you have to fix something or that you're going in the right direction when the results are not very convincing. But it's, I love it when the results are super clear, whether are terrible or excellent. You can have also another situation where something that you completely didn't expect it to happen just happened. The, yeah. like their focus is going to completely different directions. Yes, and you don't know because you're looking at the solution or the mock-up or the call to action the whole day. So sometimes you need another set of eyes to just give you their opinion. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah, exactly. So I had another question about testing also, um, which was about the difference between uh, testing your content, your copy, or testing other UX design patterns. So is there like specifically... Methods for copy testings or briefs for copy testing, and I think it will be a little bit more clear if you will give us an example. I would look at this in two different stages. So first of all, what I think as a UX writer you should do with the UX designer, of course, is first of all, you have to design the storytelling of your product because sometimes people think that UX writers are only the people who write the three words of the call to action or the one word that if the button says continue or confirm. And that's definitely not the case. I think that the ideal scenario is where you write the story of what the product should be like. What do you want to say and how do you want to say it? And you just write it down and you see the different variants of this story and then you test the story even before there's an interface, even before there's a mock-up. So we started doing that um, with with this product and I didn't, I didn't, we hadn't done that before 
at La Tamar, as we started doing it, I would say this year or at the end of last year, like really testing the story first. Mm-hmm. So this is the content first design and you test first the content without interface, without mock-up at all. Yes. So we're not testing final content. We're testing the storyline. Like what are we doing first? So in order, in order to do that, we did a few sessions with the UX designer and we just closed the computers. Like we're not seeing anything. We're not uh, relying on anything visual. We're just talking with each other. Like, how would you sell a ticket? Or how would you ask someone to check online? Only a conversation, question and answer, question and answer. And in the, it depending on what the, the user would answer, we would know if the conversation had logic. Because, okay, so you define what are you going to ask first, what information are you going to request for the user. So you design a story, no interface yet. And then you test it. And that's difficult because how do you test the story? You know, it's difficult. So we did that. And we first we tested with within the, the office, like with random people, like and we asked them if so what because what do you want to test when you're testing a story? First of all, if the user understands it and understands what they're saying, if it makes sense. Then if the user uh, think that what you are telling him follows his thought process because sometimes you're giving information, but they don't see the logic in it. Like if, if it's chronologically makes sense for the user. Let's say, for example, that you're in charge of the booking of the website, which is the core product. Yeah. We have a storyline and the storyline have multiple touch points. The first one is to choose dates. The second one, choose destination. The third one, and so on and so on, right? But let's use a much more simple example. Let's say you go to the mall, okay? And you enter a store because you want to buy some pants. So what would the person at the store tell you first? Hey, thanks for coming. Is that the first thing you want to tell the the person? I I don't know. So you ask, what are you going to offer them first? Are you going to ask them what they want? Like, what are you looking for? How can I help you? No, I'm looking for a pair of pants. Okay, so what are you going to offer that person first? The ones that have like a special sale price or the ones that have more quality or the ones that are more, that are trendier? I don't know. And okay, and if he or she doesn't like what you're offering, what are you going to say next? So that's the exercise we did. Like, what are we going to offer the user? What flight are we going to offer them? Or what are we going to do next? What's next? What's logical? You know, because when we usually uh, do um, a redesign process or whatever you want to do, you are focusing on what you already have on the, on the interface that is already online. So you're working on that. What we wanted to do is to just actually check if the way we tell things in the order we tell it makes sense to our users. So I think testing your story is really important. And if that makes sense to your users, okay, then you translate that into mock-ups and then you start the actual process of testing, iterating. But you're starting from a base that makes sense to your users. And then, then after that is the final copy, you know? But if you... If you have all the other process done already and it makes sense and the user get what he or she is expecting, 
then the final copy, like whatever the button says, comes super easily. You know, that's the right. final. Because copy. you zoom out of the process and then you know what every piece in the process needs to tell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think that's, that's super interesting just to start with the story. And how do you decide uh, which uh, story do you want to test? So you have a product manager and you say, okay, we need to create this new feature right now. And then you kind of break it into different pieces and think, okay, which kind of touch points or stories or journeys the users are going to have with, within this new feature, feature. And then you define the story. So the UX flow workflow is constant. So it's not like we redesign the whole thing all the time. We, we can, you know, the, the website has to keep functioning and it can be like a big bang. You, you can just change everything at a time. Uh, we know there are third, certain things that we want to do. So we talk about them with our product owner and our development team and we see how feasible it is to do certain changes and if it's too if it takes too much effort we divide it or we start by doing a small thing but we know like the the end game and we start doing like more like smaller user stories so it can be like a change that is actually uh feasible I've been listening to you for the past 20 minutes and it sounds like you are super experienced. It sounds like you have plenty of experience and I really would like to know, how did you learn how to do all of it? I think that you just have to be open to learn and you can just stay in your position of, oh, I'm a UX writer, I only write. That's not the way to go. And if I could give anyone a recommendation, that would be, just get involved, get involved with the product, with the business rules, with the technical aspect as well, because you have to be like a sponge. You have to absorb everything because the more you know, it will give you more confidence in your opinions and your solutions in your writing as well. It'll improve your writing as well. And because you, you have to know what you're talking about. You know, you have to know what will happen and you, you have to participate. I think it's the way to go is you have to participate in the technical refinement sessions as well and talk with the product owners as much as you can. Ask them questions, like question them as well because sometimes you get a lot of requests from everywhere. You have to do this, or you have to do that. And you have to learn how to say no. <laughs> and you have to learn to demand as well data as well like why do you want to do this change why okay because yeah we had a few people calling contact center and they're upset because of blah 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 how many people what's the impact like you you have to you have to demand that as well but in order to do that you have to know what you're talking about so i think i think a good advice would be just get involved with the with the business great answer i'm still learning how to say no it's difficult when you're good, people would ask uh, all the time your your time. So you need to learn how to say no. You can say it politely. Uh, <laughs> politely, that's for sure. Yeah. And uh, we have also a lot of listeners that are listening and they're super inspired right now because they know how to work in a product team and what they need to do except from writing 
and how they should get involved. But they were probably asking themselves, wait, but I don't have the right degree or I don't have the right experience and uh, I'm not sure that I'm capable. It's too technical. It's too complicated. So how did you get into this field? What's your background? So as I mentioned earlier, I'm a journalist and a lot of people relate journalism strictly to media, like being a reporter or writing for a newspaper. And the reality is that here in Chile, that is very limited. We don't have that many newspapers or that many TV stations. So it's very limited. And I would say in the past years, journalists started working in different areas, like in the mid I don't know, 2000, more and more journalists started working in corporate communications or PR or whatever. But UX is still very fresh and new. I got there because I knew I didn't want to work in media when I graduated. So I started working for uh, the public sector. I worked for the digital team of the presidency of Chile. And that was my first job. And it was an area that a team that had just been created. It was very new. So I immediately started working in digital. It wasn't UX per se, but in digital. And I had also studying an internship. That's what you say? That's what you call it? Yeah. Okay. I did that in in a digital website as well. So to me, it was very organic work in digital. And while I was working for the presidency, in a way, we, we were doing UX because one of the goals were, was to uh, give consistency of the communication that the government and the different ministries were giving to people, uh, to the audience. But we didn't call it UX at the time. I don't think I ever heard the term until a few years later. And then, well, at the same time, I, I, was, I was studying a, a master's degree in corporate communication because apparently that was the way to go back then. Uh, but I wasn't very convinced. Uh, so when I graduated from that, I thought, well, maybe I should work in this because now I have a degree in this. And I went mm-hmm. to work for a corporate communications agency. And that was offline, mainly offline. And I hated it. So I knew that my thing was going back to digital. And I think that's really important to like following your instinct. If you don't feel comfortable doing something, don't do it. Like life is too short. (laughs) You have to do what you like. And no one's going to say, oh, you only work six months here. Like "Mm, what's wrong with you? No, you don't like it. Don't do it. So I only worked there for a while. And then I went to work for Latin Airlines and, and I went straight to UX. And, and yeah, I think that UX writers, that's a question for UX writers. Like, what should my background be? You know, I think having a background in communication is always helpful because you have skills that are, for example, if you're a journalist, it's good because besides having like flawless grammar and you know how to write, which is good, <laughs> like you requ- those things are required. And you also have a background of knowing, for example, how to interview people. So when you do research, that is a helpful skill as well. You know, you know how to ask questions and you know how to, if, if the user gives you an answer, you know how to counter a question and, you know, it, it gives you good skills for that as well. 
but I don't think it's UX writers should only be journalists or, you know, a communication background is helpful. But I think you more than like the flawless grammar or whatever, you should have you should focus on your soft skills as well. I think those are very, very important in, in UX. I agree. And uh, there's so many people from so many backgrounds uh, in this industry that I meet today. I know a UX writing architect and uh, one of our students uh, in the UX writing course, she, is, she has a PhD in uh, physics. So That's great. Yeah. I love it because many people can find their way from completely different worlds and it's interesting it's interesting because then you can have different completely different takes from people that uh, have the same uh, position but this UX writer is a physics PhD uh, doctor and the other one she have background of 15 years in technical writing the other one is journalist and the other one is corporate communication uh, major so uh, I find it fascinating and and uh, I love how, you know, how wide is the spectrum of people that you have here. It's just amazing. Yeah, I like that too. And I think that if your main focus is the user and you're willing to give users the best experience possible, you're on the right track. Like whatever degree you have, it's not going to determine your your work or how well you do your work it might give you some Mm -hmm. skills but I think in UX in particular as in many other professions as in journalism as well um, most of the things you learn by doing it so it's not something that you can teach in a classroom You, you just have to learn by doing it and if you are lucky enough to work in a company that that allows you to learn as you go that's that's perfect I agree I see this there's a lot of um not a good. There is low-cost airlines, mainly in Europe, by the way, that having bankruptcy right now, those companies. But they have a lot of dark design patterns in their websites. And, and I have a lot of problems with those airlines. It's not uh, Latam, but it's uh, the low-cost airlines. And those people are like tricking the user to do things they don't want. They take money when they like shouldn't. I just would love to take your take about how uh, or if are you doing like active steps in order to avoid, you know, those behaviors when you design. Like it's more, it's a question related to design ethics. So do you focus on that as well? Yes, I'm the advocate for the user on that matter because uh, I always want communications to be transparent and clear and to be true. So. I'm not going to add any content, any piece of content to my product that doesn't reflect reality, first of all. Mm-hmm. And I am very, I defend, of course, always that whatever information we put in our product is very transparent, especially when it comes to prices or taxes or whatever. So and it's not just something that I want is because I pay attention to what uh, users are saying. So and on every product, this is a product, we usually have a survey after every process. And, we, and you listen what people are interesting or what information is missing for them. So you know that uh, in an airline, as in any digital, I would say, um, 
company. Uh, transparency and having clear information is super important. So I'm always trying to defend that. And and sometimes you encounter uh, like difficulties, like, oh no, but we don't have enough space on the design to do that. Uh, oh, well then content first. <laughs> so content first, see, if we had thought about content first, we wouldn't have the problem. So, so there's always that, that negotiation process, but uh, in, in my case, I always defend the, the full transparency of our digital processes. That's brilliant because my agenda, my set of beliefs is that for the long term, um, if your users are going to be frustrated from you at some point, yeah, even if like you're one of a kind and you have the best prices, as soon as they ca- could replace you, they will. So. We shouldn't be assholes to our users. We should be <laughs> completely transparent. Definitely. We should listen to them, defend them. Okay, we don't want to just, we, our mission in life is not to take their money, it's to make their life better when they use our services. So. Yeah, and in the airline industry right now, you see so many airlines. The offer is wide, especially in Europe. You have a lot of airlines. If you want to fly from, let's say, I don't know, London to Madrid, you have a lot of options. So we can't rely on the fact that uh, passengers are going to be loyal to your company. So if they have a bad experience with you, uh, whether it's digital experience or at the airport, you know, um, they're probably not going to fly with you the next time. So we, I think our role in, from the UX side of the business is try to give users the best digital experience possible. So it's a lot of work, but we have to do it. Cool. Um, before we wrapping up our amazing interview, um, our listeners will probably want to find you online and uh, what would be the best way to find it would be LinkedIn, Twitter. We're going to add the link in the show notes, by the way. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, well, I, my username everywhere is Caro Rayo. <laughs> that's C-A-R-O-R-A-Y-O. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and I have an online portfolio on Behance as well. So yeah, I'm everywhere. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here today. I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. And I'm sure that everybody that are going to listen to this talk is going to learn a million (laughs) of new uh, ways for them in order to improve their craft and become a better version of the UX writers that they want to be. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. It It was a fun conversation. And I really appreciate what you're doing because I think it's very necessary to spread the word about where we are doing. Some people don't know what UX is. Some people have no idea what UX writing is. And I think our role is super important. So uh, I appreciate what you're doing. And thank you again for having me. Thank you. Thank you. The last episode was brought to you by UX Writing Hub, which is a one-stop shop for UX writers. We have a huge Facebook group called Microcopy and UX Writing. We have a newsletter, a blog, and we have also a course only for UX writers. So thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Writers in Tech. If you like our podcast, then leave us a rating and subscribe so you're updated when a new show comes out. For more UX writing goodies, sign up for our UX writing newsletter at uxwritinghub.com. Thanks again, and that's all for this week.